So uh, let us pray, shall we, as we come to look at, at God's word. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray for it. Pray as we draw close to looking at um, your word. You would open our hearts and our minds, help us to understand the, the truths in these verses, and help us to see how they apply to us today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, good morning again. <clears throat> um, during um, July and, and into August, we're, we've been and will be um, doing a study on Exodus. And we've already had um, two sermons already. Um, Tom, our new vicar, has been um, working through that. And uh, last Sunday, um, Tom has explained to us how, how easy it is um, for people to get the wrong end of the stick about, about God. Um, and that he's often seen in a very, um, very different way than we would want him to. In other words, God is often seen as some, someone, something perhaps, who is distant, uncaring, rather capricious, seemingly deaf and blind to the world's suffering. A God that doesn't seem to care if such a God exists. And that, sadly, is often the view that the world has of God. And how much that contrasts when we read um, God's word. And we were looking particularly last Sunday in um, Exodus 34, um, where it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Perhaps a slight sting in the tail, but it draws together the fact that so often we tend to emphasize the, the sort of anger and judgment side of God and forget the amazing love and mercy that God has. And so there is this sort of tension we have um, as Christians um, of realizing, yes, that God is holy and just, and yes, he, um, the things that are wrong in this world angers him. And yet, on the other hand, which is perhaps a lot more on that other side is his love and his desire um, to bless us, to draw us closer um, to him. So we have this, um, this play of love and mercy and the justice side that it's sometimes hard to keep the two in the right balance. And the people of Israel in, in Exodus had experienced, if you like, both sides of this. They saw the amazing faithfulness and love of God as he um, freed them from Egypt, from the slavery there, and brought them across the Red Sea, and for, and for a number of um, months and whatever, was, was keeping them well um, fed and watered. Um, and yet, as we know from the previous part of Exodus we are looking at, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai for the first time, he was away a few weeks, and in that time, if you remember, they built a, uh, a, a golden calf and worshipped that instead of God. And that 
provoked God's anger, amazingly. And he was quite, quite ready to, if you like, destroy all the people of Israel if it hadn't been for Moses who stepped in. But even so, a good thousand or so were um, slain by the sword. So there they were. They'd got this experience of God both as a loving father, but also somebody who could be angered um, if they did not follow his way. And so we come to this next part, if you like, of the story of Exodus, where Moses comes down again. He went up to uh, Mount Sinai again, and now he's on his way down, clutching a new set of tablets. And no, he hadn't been to the pharmacy, for those of you who might have been thinking that. These were tablets of stone. And these were the new um, commandments, a new set of commandments um, that God had produced for Moses. So you can imagine Moses coming down the mountain. And as we read in in our reading this morning, um, as Moses approaches Aaron and and the people, he picks up on their nervousness and their fear. They're sort of backing away a little bit from, from Moses. And Moses can't understand this really because all is okay now. Moses has been up to heaven He's met face-to-face with God. He has a new set of of, um, commandments, new tablets. And uh, if you like, everything could start again. Um, A clean slate had had been produced. Why were they so reluctant? Well, I think we might have a a picture that might come up on the screen, hopefully, um, if technology allows. Um, And... This might be a reason for it. Um, I'm sure you all know, this is a statue made by Michelangelo of Moses. And you might notice that there are two little horns on his head. And has anybody seen that picture before? No, well, you may not know this. It's certainly quite new to me. (coughs) When When the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was translated into Latin... Um, the people who were doing that would really struggle to find the word that was describing um, Moses as he came down um, from, uh, from Mount Sinai with the, the shine that he had. And they noticed that the word that was used in Hebrew was very, very similar to another word that was used a lot um, in the Old Testament, and that related to animal horns. And so they worked out, this is, uh, for those of you who are expert in Hebrew, um, this is the word kurm, Q-R-N. I'll test you about this later. Anyway, um, and that word is, if you look at what horn is in, in Hebrew, very, very similar. And it seemed quite logical that, in fact, what Moses had as he came down the heaven from, the, from Mount Sinai was not, um, was not so much a radiant face, but these horns. And I must admit... I think I would be a little bit scared if somebody came down the mountain with those horns, or they could have been a little bit bigger, maybe. But um, later on, you'll be pleased to know, uh, um, later translators of the Bible realised that horns wasn't quite the right or best translation. And so we had um, the idea of radiance. The, the skin of Moses' face was 
shining. An easy mistake, you might think. Horns, skin, well, I don't know. Anyway, there we go. So um, in case you suddenly come across the horns in some version, you'll know that that's been superseded. So you can understand, maybe, if there were horns, that the people were afraid. And here he had this amazing shine and radiance. What on earth was going to happen? Was there going to be yet another um, um, anger spell? Had they done something wrong, which they weren't aware of? But no, Moses was trying to get them to come to him because he had good news. But he was aware, he was, sorry, unaware that he had this radiance on his face. And you can imagine them looking at him and he's sort of thinking, what's happened? Have I spilt something down my front, my, my face? Uh, do I need to blow my nose? Um, is, dear, is my hair all in a mess? Yes. Uh, no. Um, no, but he realised perhaps somebody sort of thrust a mirror into his, into his hand and there he could see this amazing glow that he had. What an amazing thing. What a sign that God had favoured Moses, that he'd been face to face, if you like, with God and, and survived. And that must have given the people great confidence in, great confidence in Moses, that he was somebody who had, had dealings with God. And what a valuable intercessor he would be. But I think the whole experience for Moses was quite hard. He was a humble man. Um, and uh, he, didn't fa- he didn't like having all this attention. And uh, no doubt all this self and all this sort of adulation, oh my goodness, it's how nice, um, made him very, sh- very shy. And so he res- resorts to wearing a veil. I don't know whether he was afraid that as the glow began to fade, people would, would start thinking, oh, maybe he's not so good as we thought, he's not so close to God as, as we thought, we don't know. Anyway, that amazing picture of, of Moses, his, his radiance as he came down from Moses, and it might trigger a little memory in your, in your mind um, of another story, a similar event that happened many um, thousands of years later, um, which is recorded by Luke in his Gospel. And it is um, an event that took place on the Mount of Transfiguration, believed to be Mount Tabor. And there Jesus has taken Peter, John and James with him up onto the mountain to pray. And as you'll no doubt recall, as Jesus was praying, the whole appear- his whole appearance changed and his clothes came as bright as lightning was the word that was used. And here, up on the top of the mountain, Moses again comes into view, accompanied by Elijah. And the, and the two of them, Elijah and Moses, um, shared, if you like, this amazing um, splendour and amazement of, 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 of being with Jesus and talking to him. They were, if you like, bathing in that amazing glory that that emanated from from Jesus himself. But this was no sort of rerun of Mount Sinai when Moses' face shone. It was Jesus who had the centre stage. It was him where the light was emanating from. He wasn't like like the, the moon, if you like, that reflects the sun he was, in effect, 
the sun itself, the power, the radiance, the glory were coming from, from Jesus himself. As the Christmas carol reminds us, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Jesus was the source of this glorious energy, a glory that would outshine the law and the prophets, as of course Moses and Elijah signified. And as we heard in that reading from 2 Corinthians 3, the glory of the old covenant, um, which were engraved, if you like, in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, would be outshone, surpassed by the greater glory of the new covenant. It is this glory, um, this light, which Jesus wants us to share with him and display our lives to the world. And we might be having another picture up here, I think. Yep, yeah. Such a, a famous um, passage from, um, from Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. It's a well-known passage, isn't it? Each of us is called to reflect God's love in a unique way using the different gifts we have been given. But I wonder what might prevent us from reflecting God's light in the world. Maybe we're afraid to share our faith. Maybe we're reluctant to take a step of faith, to take a new direction in our lives, which God is calling us to take. Or maybe we just feel we're not very good Christians and we back off from being a little bit too demonstrative in our faith, a lack of confidence, if you like. All those sort of things can encourage us, if you like, to put a bowl over our light, to hide the light that is coming from within, from God himself. In Corinthians 4, um, Paul describes how the amazing good news of Christ is like treasure, which we possess as Christians. Um, but we are, if you like, weak. We are weak channels. We are weak containers of this amazing good news. And we are like jars of clay, is the word he uses. But it's through the cracks, if you like, um, in our lives that so often God, God's power comes, can, can come through, um, through our weakness, if you like, that God's power and greatness can be shown. So together as God's church, his body, his body on earth, we can reveal his light into our dark world, even though we may not be aware of it. We are called to be a church which radiates God's love. Jesus, if you like, wants Emmanuel to be a radiant church. And I wonder what that means. What does it mean to be a radiant church? If you look in um, a dictionary, um, the word um, radiant comes across as something like something emitting rays, glowing, shining, 
with happy emotion, lit up, beaming. Um, those of you who are a little bit long, long in the tooth, who can remember the 1970s, there was a strong message at that time that Christians should always be happy and smiling. Um, and uh, there used to be these little badges that I shamefully wore once that said, smile, Jesus loves you. Um, and it was worn by lots of people. Um, and the problem was that it led to rather sort of superficial idea of what being a Christian was and a reluctance to be really honest. So one had these rather ridiculous conversations where somebody would say, hi, brother, are you still praising the Lord? Oh, yes, yes, brother, every day, and more so as the days go by. Everybody was praising and everybody was being a little bit over the top and unreal. We had this word called swag, sweet, weak, evangelical grin. Um, and uh, this was meant to attract people to, um, to become Christians. Yes, it was good to be joyful, um, but it wasn't that sort of fluffy, sort of rather superficial. It needed to be something deep down from God's um, spirit. So, um, so being a radiant church doesn't mean we've all got to be smiling all the time. Um, it would be ghastly, wouldn't it, if that happened? Mind you, it would be nice in one way, but it could get a little bit too, too much. So what does a radiant church look like? And um, I've just thought up a few things, but I'm, you know, it's one of those things that you could probably think of many, many more. But I think one of the, I suppose, key things is a radiant church is where the gospel is preached and put into, into practice and where we realise more and more each day of the amazing greatness of God's love for us and those around us. And when you think about it, the amazing truth of the gospel is that that veil, if you like, which separated man from God has been removed. Like the veil in the temple which separated the Holy of, he of Holies from the rest of the temple. And where only a high priest could enter, and that only once a year. That has all been removed. We can come into God's presence without fear. Our sin, our rebellion, our ignorance has all been taken away because Christ has satisfied all the requirements of the law by dying for us on the cross and rising to new life. This is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? And from it we have a new sense of freedom. We are free to be the people God made us to be. We no longer need to hide behind a mask or veil, afraid of what people may think of us. And I hope that's something that you feel, that um, being a member of our church, you can feel that you can be yourself. You don't have to put on airs and graces. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. We have, another, we have another passage coming up, I hope, in a minute. Aha. Passage from 2 Corinthians, yes, the one that we read. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's, there it is, that wonderful freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that's a really important feature of a radiant church. It's somewhere, it's somewhere where there is freedom, where people can be the people that God made them to be. We can rest in that, and we don't need to put on any guise or veil or anything to pretend to be someone else. A radiant church, if you like, too, is where, as members of Christ's body, we realise that we are a work in progress. We're not perfect, and as we come to God with our failings, our sin, he's able to make us anew through his spirit and transforming us into his image. And it's this amazing grace which gives us joy and peace and can make us radiant. That is the inner joy that, that fuels, if you like, radiance in people's lives. A radiant church should also be one where people can feel safe. And as I said earlier, where they can be truly themselves. It's a place where people hopefully can be honest with, with one another, where truth can be spoken in love, a place of trust and integrity where confidences are kept. It's a place where we may have different opinions, but that we can accept our differences. Ah, you might say you're describing a perfect church. And yes, of course, but we are, as I said earlier, we are work in progress. That's what we're working towards. And that is what God is working in our lives, bringing us from one glory to another, if you like. And then we have another passage, which I think we have on here from Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We're back to that picture of the light of the world, aren't we? And letting the light of, of Christ shine out in our in our community. A challenge, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How important it is for there to be unity in the church. And finally, a, a radiant church is a place which reaches out in love to those in need, irrespective of their background, their class, their gender, their racial background, whatever. It's a place where all can be loved and accepted, where barriers are removed and I said finally well actually it's just one more and finally a radiant church is one which brings light into those areas of life where there is injustice and exploitation a radiant church if you like should be a champion for the poor and for those forgotten I'm sure you can think of perhaps other things that should mark a radiant church. And we'd be the first to uh, accept that we're not a perfect church, but it's something that we long to be more and more like Christ, radiating um, his love. So we're going to have a time now of, um, of reflection. Um, Tom introduced us to this um, recently. And uh, what we're going to do, if you'd like to stand, we're going to just... Um, have a moment of, 
of stillness, just to let God speak to us through, um, it might be something that's come up um, in those verses, it might be something that I said, something that came to mind. thank you for this picture of Moses, radiant as he came down from Mount Sinai. And Lord, we thank you that you want to shine through your church in the world. You want the church to be your radiance in our world, in our dark world, where there are many barriers, many veils which Keep people from discovering you. Lord, forgive us when there are areas perhaps in our lives where we prevent the radiance of Christ coming through and and affecting others nearby. Where we are too worried, perhaps too fearful. We ask for your forgiveness and we pray for a new sense of of our belonging and of relying on on your power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, as a church, we indeed may may yearn to become a radiant body of believers out of whom shine the love of Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, in our worship and in our action in the community. May we indeed shine as your, um, as your light of the world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.